Okay, morning everyone. Morning. Oh, the bucket. Been caught out, the bucket's. Oh no, 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 one bucket's still going around, it's all right. While the buckets are still going around, or while one bucket's still going around, uh, you might want to be turning to Genesis chapter 40. We're going to look at that this morning. Uh, if you haven't got a Bible with you, then the word should appear on the screen behind me. You can follow along there if you want to. We're going to read uh, all of Genesis 40 and read, I guess, what happens next to Joseph and God's plan uh, and uh, all the stuff connected with that um, in Genesis chapter 40. Okay, let's go for it. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, were being held in prison. Sorry. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, Why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its cluster ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. Three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all of his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker. Just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. We see, we pick up from where Joseph left off. He's been, he was in Potiphar's house. He was a highly respected servant in Potiphar's house, but there was that whole incident with Potiphar's wife where Potiphar's wife makes this false accusation against Joseph and Joseph is put in prison. He's put in in prison and that's where we find him now. We find him there some time later. Today, as we look at this passage It's a real sense that we're looking, how do we respond to delay? How do we respond to things that have been going on that just seem to have gone on forever? God, when is this ever going to change? When's this going to change? 
If we look back in Genesis 37 and verse 2, we see, first, this is an account of Jacob's family line. And then we hear Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks of his brothers. And we go on through that story. 17-year-old Joseph has two dreams. 17-year-old Joseph finds that his brothers don't like him very much and ends up getting rid of him. And if we do a little bit of maths, we need to look forward slightly in the story. It's not complicated maths, don't worry. But at the beginning of chapter 41, we hear that after this incident that we're looking at today, two full years have passed. And during that story, we find that Joseph is then made uh, a ruler in Egypt. Pharaoh puts him in charge of things. And we find that he's a man of 30 years old. I didn't write the verse down. It's in chapter 41. You can read it later. There we are. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So 30 minus 2. Anyone can do 30 minus 2? Go on, Lydia. 28. So Joseph is 28 years old. Take into account partway through this passage. There's another little bit of a sometime later. We don't know how long that is. But while Joseph is in prison with the cupbearer and the baker, he's a 28-year-old man. When he was 17, he had two dreams. When he was 17, he was sold as a slave. From the age of 17 until 28, he's been a slave in the house of Potiphar and then a prisoner in Pharaoh's prison. Eleven years have passed. Eleven years have gone on. Eleven years since Joseph dreamed the dreams. Eleven years as a slave and as a prisoner. But eleven years of serving faithfully. Pleasing his masters. Blessed by God. We see God blesses him in Potiphar's house. We see the jailer is very pleased with him and puts him in charge of all sorts of things in the prison. God blesses him. But eleven years have passed. This is the reality of the situation for Joseph. He had two dreams. Dreams that spoke, something big's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to work out, but my brothers are going to bow down to me. What's this all about? What is happening here? What's God doing in all of this? What is God meaning by this? And yet 11 years have passed and it seems further away than ever in many ways. I'm nowhere near my brothers. I'm not a ruler, I'm a slave. I'm not a ruler, I'm a prisoner. What's going on? It seems so far from what it appeared God was telling him. How do we respond to delay and stuff that's just gone on? It feels like I've been in this place for so long. It feels like nothing has changed. If anything, it's got worse. That's what it looks like for Joseph. Nothing's changed. Some time later, this cupbearer and baker turn up. He's still in the prison. And so we're going to look, how do we respond? When things don't seem to change straight away. When things seem, if anything, to get worse. When things drag out for a long time. We're going to look at three different characters. Well, four, but I'm putting two of them together. We're going to look at the cupbearer and the baker. Then we're going to look at Joseph. And then we're going to look at what God's doing. But as we see the cupbearer and the baker, first of all, Pharaoh's officials who were thrown in prison, and we see their part in this story. We see that in times, dark times, that seem to drag on, we can continue to expect God to speak. What do we see of these two? Cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt have somehow offended their master or they've caused offence to Pharaoh. They've offended against him somehow. We don't learn what they've done. And so they're thrown into prison. Important men who held privileged positions in the house of Pharaoh, in his courts. They've been put in prison and they come into contact with Joseph. But what we hear of them is that one morning, sometime later, 
Joseph comes in and finds them looking somewhat dejected. He's obviously got to know them somewhat. He can kind of tell, yeah, you're not looking yourselves this morning. I know we're in prison anyway, so you're probably not doing brilliantly, but this morning you look in a bad way. Why are they dejected? Well, we're told. Each of us have had a dream. We both had dreams, they answered, verse 8, but there's no one to interpret them. We both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And what do we see immediately? I want to make a really obvious point. First point. The cupbearer and the baker expect that the dreams could be important. The cupbearer and the baker expect that the dreams that they've had could be significant. The cupbearer and the baker, as we will later find out, God is speaking through these dreams. You see, the cupbearer and the baker are not distressed because, oh, I had a nightmare, it was horrible, and I need to forget it. No, their distress is due to the fact that they've had dreams. They know this could be an important message. What's this about? But we can't interpret it. We can't understand. Even as we look at these two characters, let's see the obvious. It's obvious in Joseph's story. God can speak through dreams. Sorry, is that too obvious? God can speak through dreams. There's a, an expectation here, even from these two. We don't know what they believe. They're, they're people from a foreign land. They're not the people of God, but yet even they know. It could be significant that we've had these dreams. It could be significant. Something, there could be a message here. We know all the more so it's God who speaks through dreams. It's God who can speak through dreams, as well as, obviously, in all sorts of other ways. As we see Joseph, who's been here for so long, as we see in this moment, let's be encouraged, God speaks into that situation. But God speaks through dreams. I want to labour that point. Do we expect and understand that God can speak to us or to other people in those ways? Of course, there can be many reasons for dreams. We don't want to scrabble around trying to understand every odd thing that pops into our head at night. But God speaks through dreams and visions. We see examples throughout Scripture. We don't have to look very far from this story. Joseph's already had two dreams, which we know God is speaking and showing him what is going to happen. We know that when Joseph finally gets out of prison, God's given Pharaoh dreams which are going to show, look, this is a message for your nation right at this moment. We see that in lots of other places in the Bible. In, in, as part of Abraham's story, when Abraham goes down to, uh, to stay in the land of Abimelech and he does that slightly interesting thing where he says, well, no, Sarah's just my sister. She's not my wife. It's okay. And Abimelech is kind of, uh, okay, she's your sister. Well, I might have her for my wife then. Well, God gives Abimelech a dream. Don't go near her. In fact, if you're going near her, then there's going to be trouble here. And he even seems to have a conversation with him in the dream. God speaks in wonderful ways through dreams and actually saves Abimelech in that situation. We know in the story of Jesus being born that God speaks to Joseph in dreams on many occasions. But don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Take the child and his mother and go to Egypt. We hear of the wise men who actually they were warned in a dream. Don't go back to Pharaoh, not to Pharaoh, to Herod. We're in a different situation there. God speaks through dreams. And in the midst of a time, this time feels so dark. Joseph's in the prison. Everything's going wrong. It's been like this for so long. Yet, God is still speaking. God can break in. God can speak to us. When we're facing hard times, when we're facing a time that just seems to have gone on and on and on, do we still expect God will speak to us? Through his words? Through preaching? Through friends? Through prophecy, but also 
through dreams? Do we expect that God can do that? God says that he does this in the Bible. In Numbers 12, him talking about how he speaks to his prophets in the Old Testament. In Numbers 12, and verse 6, he says, Listen to my words. When there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. And those words that we'll be so familiar with from Joel chapter 2, which are then quoted in Acts 2, I pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is what I'm doing now. I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh. And your young men, your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. This is something that God chooses to do. First thing I want us to do today is to raise our expectation. God is speaking through many ways today. We know that, we hear that, and we see that, but God speaks even through dreams. We can know that amongst ourselves. We can hear stories of many unbelievers having dreams, particularly, particularly in Muslim communities. Many seeing Jesus in dreams or having dreams and being guided to God. Perhaps even for us today, we can see actually, maybe the delay we can think of is actually, we've been waiting to see God deliver great salvation, to see many people saved and added to us. Perhaps we could be thinking, we've been in this place for a long time. We've been in this Jubilee Centre and we've had promises of seeing many people, of seeing the balconies filled, of seeing... Hundreds of people come to Jesus. We've, been, we've had the North Congregation for many years now. Have we seen massive breakthrough in that area? Well, what's our reaction? Well, maybe we're wrong. Maybe it's not going to happen. Or are we expecting God to speak today? God speaks to many in dreams, wonderful stories of particularly, of, as I say, of, of Muslims seeing Jesus in dreams or having dreams which lead them to seek out, who is this Jesus guy? If you read uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, a book by Nabil Qureshi and his story of coming to faith, towards the end of his journey to, to faith, he has three dreams in particular. And it's amazing to see how God speaks to him. Particularly in the first dream. Massively, massive symbolism in the dream. It's a dream about a snake and uh, it's on a stone pillar and there's an iguana that's huge and it looks like a hill and there's a cricket and there's a young boy. And it's like, what's this all about? And yet God speaks to Nabil Qureshi in a way where when he phones up his mother and says, you know, we've got that old dream book by that Islamic scholar from long, long ago, which has got all these symbols in it. But what does it say about this? And brings the complete interpretation of the dream. This is, what, this is what's happening here. God's leading you to him in Jesus. Wow. It's incredible how God speaks even in the midst of what has been a long time of being in the dark place. Perhaps even in a slightly unexpected way. God doesn't just give jo Joseph another dream. No, he gives dreams to these two other prisoners and brings them into contact with Joseph. God speaks, even, or maybe especially, when it feels like we've been here for so long, nothing seems to be changing. So firstly, how do we... How do we react and respond to delay? Let's expect God to be at work and speaking uh, in those dark times. But let's move on to look at Joseph particularly. As we look at Joseph, we cannot fail to be challenged as to how he responds to this time that he's been in a dark place. 11 years as a slave and as a prisoner. 11 years away from his family. 11 years so far from the dreams that he had. 
with no sign of this imprisonment ending. There's no sign. He's got no idea how this is going to end. Perhaps the question's going through his mind, what's happened to my life? Why is this happening? Very valid and legitimate questions that could come up. And yet as we come to Joseph's response to the two men uh, in verse verse 8, I would suggest that Joseph's response, his focus is on a bigger and more important question. Who is it that I believe? Who is it that I believe in? Even in the midst of this dark time, even when it seems to have gone on for so long and I don't see any way out of this and what actually has happened here and why am I in this prison in Egypt? What on earth is that all about? Yet, Joseph's focus, who is it that I believe in? Pharaoh's officials tell him, we both had bad dreams, they answered. Verse 8. But there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Do not interpretations belong to God? Joseph hints at so strongly here, where is my focus? I still believe in him. My trust is in him the one to whom interpretation belongs, the one who is in control of everything, the one who knows all. This is his response. You've had dreams. Well, God is the one who brings interpretation. Well, let me hear them. You see, we would forgive Joseph at this moment if his reaction rather was dreams. Don't talk to me about dreams. I had dreams once. Let me tell you. And let me tell you as well, they didn't involve me being in this prison with you two, listening to your dreams, being stuck in this dungeon. Let me tell you what I've been through. Years in this pot of a bloke's house. He was all right. He was a good master. And then yet, then his wife turns around and gives me this false accusation. I end up in this prison. Now I've been stuck here for ages. Now, if you want anything with your dreams, go to someone else. We could forgive him for that. We, we would think, man, I could understand that, Joseph. But no. Joseph still believes. God is the one who gives dreams, and God is the one in whom interpretation is found, and God is the one I can trust, regardless of whether I... I've just had the dream and I'm thinking, how is this going to be fulfilled? Regardless of whether actually this seems to have gone completely wrong. And not only does it seem to have gone completely wrong, I'm still here 11 years later. But here's Joseph's reaction. I still believe him. He is still in control. He's not cynical or full of unbelief. So easy for that to have been the result. Dreams? Forget about them. He's not responding with bitterness. You see, Joseph is showing here, he knows the truth, ultimately, that God is God. He is the one who is above all. He is the one who is ruling and reigning. He is the one who is in control. You see, Joseph, at the same time, is not pretending that it isn't a dark place. He's not saying, well, actually, everything's worked out fine for me, hasn't it? This is wonderful. My dreams came and they've and they're great. No. Verse 14, we catch a glimpse of it. As he talks to the cupbearer, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. That word dungeon is the same, or the word translated dungeon, it's the same word that they translate cistern or pit where he was thrown by his brothers. Joseph still remembers. Joseph knows what's happened to him. Joseph knows this is not a nice place to be. He's not kind of floating along on a kind of, well, here God's in control so everything's lovely. Yeah, tell me your dreams. No, he's in a dark place. It's hard. He's, having, he's keeping going through this, and yet, in the midst of that, 
Joseph believes God. He's persevering, he's keeping going. He's doing what the writer to the Hebrews commends us to do in Hebrews 12. And what again we can be commended to do, even as we look at Joseph and as we see actually his trust in God, his faith in him. Hebrews 12 verse 1, Therefore since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Joseph's got hold of something. He's still fixing his eyes on God, who is in control. For us, this is the challenge, not to ignore the pain or the disappointment or the seeming helplessness even of circumstances that just don't seem to change. But in the midst of it all, to keep trusting him, to keep knowing that ultimately, regardless of what this looks like, regardless of it all, and I'm not pretending that it's not good, it's horrible and it's bad, or it's just mundane and it keeps going, and what on earth, when is this ever going to be different in the midst of all of that? He's the one who has a plan that is perfect. He's the one who has a plan that is more perfect than we can understand. Joseph trusts God in the midst of ongoing disappointment and delay. But you see, as this goes on, we see there's another aspect to it as well. He's trusting God. He's he's focused on him. He's holding on. But we see Joseph is a man using gifting, wisdom and faith in this dark place too. We've seen that already as Ben talked about it last week as he faithfully served in Potiphar's house. He's, he's bringing success. He's, God's blessing him in all he's doing. He's, he's carrying massive responsibility. Massively fruitful until the false accusation and he's thrown in prison but then incredibly, almost in the next breath, the, the writer is saying uh, he's been thrown in prison Sorry, chapter 39 and verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. It's the same verse. It starts in the same verse. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. Joseph's serving faithfully in these dark places. It's incredible to see this perseverance and, and just faithfulness as Joseph works through the situation he's in. See, we could accidentally get the wrong impression. Oh, God brought him success. God showed him kindness. God, God kind of worked everything out. To kind of suggest, that's true. I, sorry, that wasn't flippant at all. God did show him kindness and brought him success and worked everything out. But we could get this kind of impression where Joseph's not really doing anything. Joseph's just moping about, feeling sorry for himself, and somehow God sorts it out that Joseph's suddenly this respected, responsible figure in the household, even though Joseph's moping around going, I'm not bothered. Don't talk to me. Oh, now I'm in charge. No, God uses Joseph. God works in him and through him. And he brings him success and blesses him. God's at work in him. But we see Joseph faithfully serving and God bringing him success until we come to here. And in a sense, this massive challenge that he's brought, as I've already said, we would be, we would be so forgiving of Joseph if he just went anything else but not dreams. Anything else but don't talk to me about dreams. I had a dream. I had two dreams. And they seem to be gone. I had it. And yet, Joseph is faithful. Joseph knows God has has given him wisdom. Joseph knows that God can speak through him in this area 
And he uses his God-given abilities right there in the dark place. Right here in the prison. Right here in the back end of beyond. Who's seeing it? These two guys. Right there in this place. Well, it's in secret. Who really cares? God's watching. God sees. God is pleased. As he sees Joseph stepping out in faith in a dark place. In fact, we can see, as we look with hindsight, as we're so privileged to do, we can see the preparation here. Because two years from now, it won't be the cupbearer's dreams and the baker's dream, it will be Pharaoh's dreams and it will be a whole nation that it, and nations that are being affected by the outcome of that dream. And yet, Joseph, right here, right now, is faithful. We see hints here even of what Jesus talks about in Luke 16. About being faithful, though he who is faithful with a little will be trusted with more. I'll read it rather than uh, trying to paraphrase, as I already have. In Luke 16 and verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Of course, he is talking about wealth in particular, money in itself. But we can see this, even the hint of it. Joseph, be faithful here. Be faithful here with these two. And there's going to be more to come. Joseph's faithful with the gift that God has given him. He's He's faithful with the gift, but he's faithful to God in all of it. You see, he interprets the cupbearer's dream. Great stuff. He works out what these symbolic things are about, the three branches, the three days, and all this stuff, and, and, and the fact that the ultimate outcome of that dream is that the cupbearer is going to be reinstated. This is wonderful. This is wonderful stuff. When we come to verse 16... The chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favourable interpretation. And so then he's ready to tell Joseph his dream. He said there's a moment here as the baker reveals his dream that the temptation comes to Joseph, the opportunity to be the lovely guy with the favourable interpretations rather than the guy who's hearing God speak. And bringing what God says. Could he have found a way? Think, oh, these baskets of bread. No, uh, the bread's being picked out. Uh, could, could there be a? Could there be a better interpretation of this? Better inverted commas. But Joseph, in the midst of that, in the midst of, there's no one else around him. He's stuck in a prison. He's got these two guys who are actually listening to him and want to, to talk to him and want to trust him with their dreams. He's got the opportunity to please them both. Yet he knows I've got to be faithful to what God is saying. Even if that means saying, I'm sorry, Mr. Baker, this is what the dream means. It's not good for you. But I have to be true to what God's saying. I have to be faithful to him. I can't just try and please you. Even though we're in the midst of this time, Joseph's just been there for so It's been so long. And I've been plowing on and I've been plodding on. And now I've been asked to... Win. God, there's these two dreams. One's good, but the other one, is it really that bad, God? Do I need to bring that message? But again, he's faithful here. Remember, we can look forward for Pharaoh as he stands before Pharaoh in a couple of short years time or long years however Joseph's feeling there's going to be another tough answer to bring it's not a wonderful rosy dream that Pharaoh has no I'm talking about a famine for seven years and Joseph in the midst of the dark times in the midst of the prison he says I'm going to be faithful to God." I'm going to bring what you tell me to bring, God. I'm going to hear you and I'm going to, going to bring it. I'm not going to try and kind of 
butter these guys up in some way. He speaks the truth. And the challenge for us in this, as God speaks to us, as God may have spoken to me, maybe, maybe many of us here are, are living with dreams that we've had. Maybe we've actually had a dream. Maybe we've got a, a desire that we feel God's put in our hearts. This, I'm taking you to this. I believe this is where you're going. But it's not happened yet. It's easy for us to think, yes, God, use me in that way. God, bring me to that place. But not here, God. God, I thought you were speaking about big things or, or at least nice situations or, uh, or important moments or big stages or amazing situations where I could use that gift you put in me. Not these two servants in a dungeon. See, even it can be so tempting for us to think, actually, can I see how this might, uh, might be helpful in leading to something bigger? Actually, if I could see that this would lead to, a, to an audience before Pharaoh and interpreting his dreams, then maybe, yes, that would be a good idea to practice and do a good job here. Now, Joseph can't see that. We get no, incent, no sense that he can see that. He obviously kind of thinks, well, maybe these guys know Pharaoh. Maybe they can at least remember me to him. But he doesn't know Pharaoh's going to have, have a dream. He doesn't know any of that. And yet... Joseph makes the decision, God, you have gifted me in this, and this is where you've put me right now. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep serving you here. I'm going to use my gifting. We can feel, I didn't think this is what you meant, God. Or perhaps, conversely, the challenge can be, God, you need to bring me through this dark time so then I can flourish in my gifting, or I can be, I can be used by you, I can serve you in that way. I need to be in a better place. Surely God can't use me here. God, surely I can't be used in any way in this place. I'm not good for anything here. Well, then the challenge and the encouragement to us is this. Look, right in the midst of the prison, God uses Joseph. Right in the midst of all that's going on, after so long, in this whole journey, God's using him. And working through him. Such a challenge for us. Whether we're in a place of suffering. Whether actually it just feels like a really mundane time. And it's been like this for so long. Whether that's the job we're doing. Whether it feels like I didn't think I was going to be in this place. This always felt like a stopgap and yet I'm still here. This... Whether it's a particular season of life that you think, I just want this season to end and then I'll be in a better one. Whether it's once I've finished school. Whether it's once I've come to the end of college. Whether, whether yes, when I get that better job, then I can be, really be used in what God has, has got for me. Whether we are talking about really hard places. Hard challenges to get hold of. Struggling with different things, whether that's ill health, whether that's coming to terms or, or, or just being in that place of, of being single and seeing friends married or childless or being unemployed. Just thinking, God, what, what, can, what, what can I do in this place? There are places of real pain that we can find ourselves in. But the challenge and the exhortation here is this. Keep trusting God. And be amazed. Not, it's not a striving in that sense. Be amazed that God can use you even in the place that you think, what could I do here? In the place of pain. In the mundane every day. In and through suffering. A challenge to keep believing that he is at work in and through you. In the dark place, in the delay, in the when will this ever change? Will we continue to trust God and believe him and allow him to work in us and through us? 
But thirdly, we've seen the cupbearer and the baker. We've seen Joseph. What is God doing in all of this? We've hinted at it already. And we see as we look at what God is doing, we're encouraged that God is at work in and through it all. Even in bringing the previous challenge, the challenge is to believe him, the challenge is to keep trusting him. We have to recognise that that's a call not to keep my chin up. I shouldn't feel so sad because God is good. Or even to uh, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, as Dory in Finding Nemo likes to sing. They're kind of happy-go-lucky, I'm assuming it's going to be okay, even though I'm going into the complete darkness. Just because things generally work out, don't they? No. Even the challenge is to trust that God is always at work. That God is always in control, that God is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. It's a great encouragement, even as we see here, to see how God is working through this story and to recognise that it's in him that we find the strength to persevere. That's not drummed up from within ourselves. You see, all through Joseph and Jacob's family's story, God has a big plan that he's working out. A big plan that involves Joseph. Looking as we can at the whole story, we can see Joseph is going to become Pharaoh's right-hand man. Joseph's going to be put in a place of massive responsibility. And God's going to bring salvation through him. But how? How on earth could it be in this moment? Joseph, a falsely accused and imprisoned Hebrew slave in a foreign country. How? But even in this chapter, we recognise and we see God is still with Joseph. With God, all things are possible. And we see here how God is at work. We can rightly cry in situations of pain and particularly situations that have gone on for a long time. Oh God, break through. Come, break into this situation. It's a right cry. It's not a wrong cry. It's a, we're crying out, God... Come, you can change things in a moment. I know you can. It's a right cry. But we can accidentally fall into the trap sometimes in doing so. Of perhaps convincing ourselves that actually God isn't doing anything until he breaks in in that way. Until a dramatic breakthrough comes. Well, God, you seem to not be doing anything, so you aren't. Until that moment. We're encouraged here in Joseph's story that God is at work throughout. Here there is no lightning bolt from the sky. There is no earthquake which shakes the prison. Of course, God does do that in another occasion. In this case, we're not seeing here in that sense a dramatic breakthrough where God vindicates Joseph and leads him out of the prison and then to Pharaoh. No, but quietly God is at work. What do we see about how God works? We see that God is at work in the little details. I'm so glad and well done, Lydia, for coming and sharing your testimony this morning. God hears every prayer. God knows every situation. God knows every little detail. And has a plan. But here we see God is knitting this whole story together in his plans. Even as we look at it and we kind of reflect, back in chapter 39, Joseph's imprisoned where the king's prisoners were held. He wasn't one of the king's prisoners, he was one of Potiphar's prisoners. Potiphar's locked him up. And he ends up in this prison. Potiphar's the captain of the guard, he can choose where to put him and he puts him there. Joseph through his faithful service, is known as someone who's responsible in the prison. The jailer is so pleased with him. And so sometime later when the cupbearer and the baker, they're locked up, officials of Pharaoh, they come into contact with Joseph. Joseph is, is brought to, to serve them and to attend to them. We see in the midst of all this, God is just starting to do something. 
Pharaoh's important officials are brought to Joseph. In effect, Pharaoh's world comes to Joseph. And you say, well, what's that? Is it just coincidence? Is there something? What, what does it even mean? What's going on? But actually, as we reflect and we lift our eyes, we see God is at work through the story. God is at work in the little details of how this all comes together. But God's also at work when we can't see it. How could Joseph know any of the significance of that? How could he know the significance of what's just happened in this story, particularly when it seems to have ended in nothing? Verse 23, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And so we find that Joseph, at the end of the story, this chapter, is in exactly the same place it seems as he was when he started, alone in the prison. Other prisoners probably, but in the context of the story. He was there. Cupbearer and baker come, cupbearer and baker go. Joseph's left on his own. Joseph can't really see that anything is happening. He appears in to end in the same place he started, on his own, forgotten. Nothing's happened. Or has it? As we'll see as we go through chapter 41, here a seed's been planted to be awoken at the, awoken at the right time. At the right moment, the cupbearer will remember Jake, Jacob, Joseph. At the right moment, Joseph can't see. Joseph can't know what has happened. I've, I've faithfully done what God's asked me to do. I've faithfully gone at it right in the midst of this dark place, and yet nothing's changed. They haven't remembered me. I think even in this moment, there's a massive encouragement for sharing our faith. And particularly in contexts where we don't see immediate fruit. I'm always massively struck and inspired when Helen talks about mini-kids. Yes, we're believing to see fruit here and now. We're believing to see families change. But yet, actually, if we've implanted anything in these young kids' lives that is going to, in years to come, and they come in contact with someone, I remember that story when I was four. I remember that story that those people faithfully told me when I was three. And I was just messing about. And yet now, it all becomes clear as God uses it. Has nothing changed? No. God's at work. God's at work even when we cannot see it. Whether that's at mini kids, whether that's food bank conversations, whether that's uh, just our interactions with colleagues and we think nothing is changing, nothing is ever happening. Be encouraged. God is at work. We might not understand it all, but he's at work. And finally we see... That God's plans and his timing is perfect. So we look at Joseph here. It would be so easy for him to lose heart. To think, God, that was the moment. The cupbearer, he's just been reappointed into Pharaoh's court. He has at least an ear to Pharaoh. He could have got me out of here. And yet if we think about it, we could... Imagine God saying, Joseph, I know. I've got a plan. It's not time yet. There's going to be the right moment. Pharaoh's going to have a dream. And you're going to be the man that I'm going to use in that situation. I've got a plan. I've got a plan that is beyond your full understanding. You can't get hold of it all. And yet, it's always perfect. You see, God, again, we can imagine him saying, Joseph, you see, my plan is so much bigger. I'm not just looking to get you out of this dungeon. But I'm bringing you to a place to do a mighty work for me where you're going to save a nation and nations. Your whole family is going to be saved through this. It's so much bigger than you've yet seen. Let me step back. 
we encouraged. God is always at work, even though we don't always see it. His timing is utterly perfect. As we see so wonderfully demonstrated, as Paul writes in Romans, just at the right time. Just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It wasn't an accident when Jesus came. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't kind of, well, I'll just toss a coin and we'll go for it. God's timings and plans are perfect. Even during the worship, I was just reminded of that. It can be so confusing to us. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of what's going on, why is your plan like that, God? And remember the story of Lazarus. Martha and Mary send word to Jesus, Lazarus is sick. Jesus says, I know. God's going to, we're going to do something amazing. I'm not coming yet. I'm not coming yet. It doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make sense to us. Your friend's sick, but you're not going yet. He arrives and Martha and Mary are like, Jesus, if you'd been here, he could have been saved. No, no. Look what God's going to do. I've got a bigger plan than that. It's better. It's even greater. And just at the right time, Jesus turns up and says, right, Lazarus, come out. Wow. We can't know what all the outcomes are. We can't know exactly what God's plan is in all of it. And yet we know it's better than what we've thought up. It's better than what we think is the perfect moment. God knows what he's doing. His timing is perfect. We can trust him completely. Even in the midst of the darkness that just seems to keep going on. The mundane that just seems seems to keep going on. The thing that just hasn't changed. We can know. He is the God who can break in. But he's also the God that knows what he's doing. And who loves us. So be encouraged that God is working even when we can't see it. Though it looks dark, though lots lots of exits may seem to have been bypassed, though so much time may have passed, he has a better plan than the one we've thought up. It's always better. It's always perfect. We see that with Joseph. And we see that's what God's still doing today. Amen. Should we pray together? When the band come up, and uh, I'm going to pray.